0: You know, there are these, these times in life when, when we're waiting for something, and, and sometimes the, the waiting is not a good thing, but but this morning, I want to think about the times in our lives where we're waiting for something, and it's just exciting, right? And so so think about Christmas Day for you. Hopefully, this was your story as a kid. Like, uh, I, I remember the, the weeks leading up to Christmas Day, like every day taking inventory of how many gifts were under the tree, right? And I have an older sister, younger brother, like, you know, wanted to, to make sure that that they didn't have more gifts than me and you know every time a new gift would be put under the tree I'm like sizing it up and you're always getting the, the most excited about the biggest present right even if it's not the best you're you're always aware of of what sibling is getting the biggest gift that year. And 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 and, and all of Christmas was 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 just this buildup of of Christmas morning, of leading to Christmas morning, of of imagining what it was going to be like to to open the gifts and, and to get my new Nerf gun, right? Or to to get my new, you know, boys to men C D or whatever it was I was asking for that year. And and, 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 and this is the way that it worked, at least for me. Maybe this did for you as well, but, but you're excited about it, you're thinking about it, and you picture what life is gonna be like. So I'm just imagining just running around with my Nerf gun, just shooting my mom and dad. And, 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 and you go, man, life is gonna be better when, when this day comes, Right? And, 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 and no one had to tell me, hey, Brandon, go, go look under the tree. See how many gifts you have, right? The, 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 the words that came out of my parents' mouths were, get back from the tree, right? Put the presents down. Quit shaking them, right? Like, and, and, and there was something about looking forward to this exciting moment. You know, we're, we're beginning this season of, of Advent, and, and many of you you, you didn't practice Advent as a family, you didn't practice Advent in the church you grew up in, or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all, and this is the first time you've ever heard the word. And, and we come from kind of a, a, a multiplicity of places when it comes to, to Advent. Advent, just were, it's just this word that means coming. And in the sixth century, um, Christians, around this time of year, started to devote the Sundays leading up to Christmas Day to, to intentionally think about the, the first coming of Jesus. You know, the, the, the first coming of Jesus over 300 prophecies came true when Christ came into the world. Do you realize that? That it was this moment that, that all throughout the Old Testament, that these prophets for, for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, said that one day he is coming. And, and on Christmas Day was this moment where, where all the promises that God had made finally were yes in Jesus. And it was this moment where Christians go, man, we've gotta celebrate this. This can't just be another day, and so let's take a whole month leading up to to Christmas Day to to celebrate and to thank God for for what he's doing, for what he did through Christ. At at Christ's first coming, man, so much good happened. The kingdom of God came. Sinners were forgiven. Healing came, The, the goodness of God's heart flowed, but the reality is that everything didn't change. Upon Christ's first coming, you're like, wait a minute, are you a heretic? Do I need to leave here? Listen listen to me, though, right? And so while all these great things happen, none of us look at the, the world that we live in and go, this is exactly what God intends Right, and so in the 6th century, Christians started to celebrate Advent, the weeks leading up to, to, to Christmas, to celebrate the coming of, of Jesus. And, and, and after the 6th century, Christians started to go, man, let's not just celebrate the, the first coming of Jesus. Let's start anticipating the second coming of Jesus, when, when everything that, that is wrong will be made right. When everything that is marked by decay and death will no longer be marked by those things, but be marked by life. And so Christians started to, to celebrate, to, to anticipate the second coming of Jesus this time of year. And it's in the spirit that, that we find ourselves this morning, that in the season of Advent, year 2019, we celebrate the birth of Christ, and we anticipate the second coming of Christ. The second coming of, of Jesus, so often we, we Christmas time, we, we only talk about the first, we only talk about his coming. And today what I wanna do is I really wanna anchor us in the, in the second coming of Jesus. Because I believe that, that if if we if we if we if we're aiming at the right target, if we have our hope in the, in the right place, then, then everything else flows out of that. And so the, the the New Testament writers understood this so well. And it's in all of their writings. Once you start looking for it, you, you notice it. So start rolling these, these scriptures with me, Tim. Second Timothy chapter four, verse eight. This is what Paul writes. He says, now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, listen to this, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. Philippians chapter three, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter two, verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Hebrews 9 verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Revelation 21, verse three and four. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be them will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so as Christians, we come here today, and, and we celebrate that Christ has come, but we look forward to the day when Christ will come again. And so our, our anthem, I invite you to repeat this after me. All throughout Advent, Advent we're gonna say this. Christ has, come, Christ has come, and Christ will come again. Christ, will come again. Christ, has, come, Christ has come, and Christ will come, again. Christ will come again. And this morning, I want us to look at, at two questions. I want us to take inventory of our hearts and and to ask God to align our hearts with with his heart on on, on helping us understand two things, what our hope is in and how we wait. This morning, we're going to look at, at, at what our hope is in as Christians and how we wait. You know, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not even optimistic thinking. You know, we sometimes use hope like that. You know, we'll we'll say things like, "Hey, are you going to be able to get that project done?" Like, Jonathan, you going to be able to get all those reports run by the end of the day? And so often, response is like, "Man, I hope so." Right? Or, or man, are you going to be able to come to the party on a Friday night? Ty, and you're like, I, "I hope so." If Dolly lets me, you know, right? Like, and 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 we have these this way of talking where where hope is is marked with uncertainty. Right, it's, it, it's, it's yet to be determined, but yet underneath it, there's this optimism. Right, optimism based upon a bunch of things, experiences or, or projections of how long we think things are gonna take. And there's nothing wrong with, with how we use the word hope like in our context, right? But I want us to be careful that we don't let our, our usage of the word hope kind of move into the way that the Bible uses the word hope. See, biblical hope is, is rooted not in wishful thinking or even in optimistic thinking, but, but in certainty. Biblical hope is, is, is rooted in a person. Go to that next slide. Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Our, our hope is, is, is not in these, in these things. Our hope is in a person. His name is Jesus who, who was and is and is to come. Jesus who, who is written about in the scripture, who fulfilled all the prophecies. Jesus who is alive in heaven, who often when you get on your knees and praise, he, he hears you. Jesus, who one day every eye will see, he actually is real. He's not just some figment of our imagination, this person that we invented to make us feel better, that that Jesus, who was and is and is to come, he is the one that has all of our hope, that all of our hope is rooted in. You see, and what happens in life, even as Christians, is that we do this thing where we begin to, to not put our hope in Jesus, but in the things that we want Jesus to do for us. And when that begins to happen, we, we, we always end up disappointed. And, and what happens is that, that our faith, we, we go through sometimes these, these shipwrecked moments of faith. When our hope is not put in Jesus and, and who he is and, 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 and his return, but in the things that we want him to do for us. And so here's what I mean. So you're at a moment where, where you prayed for something. I mean, you really prayed for it. And it didn't come true. And you just felt so let down by God. And maybe it was a family member that had cancer and you prayed and you fasted and every day for 30 days you got on your knees and you begged God and the the death still came. Or maybe you've been praying for for reconciliation for for a family member that's been estranged. Or for for people who are going through divorce. You've been praying for reconciliation and it doesn't come. See what happens when all of our hope is in the things that we want God to do for us instead of God himself, when these things come, it completely shipwrecks our faith. We experience these these faith-shaking, faith-losing moments. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. Because our hope is, is not in Jesus, who was and is and is to come. This morning, I was getting ready, and and the Lord was reminding me of the song, It Is Well. Did a little bit of reading, the man who wrote the song, this guy's name, Horatio Spafford. And and he was a follower of Jesus, and you look at his life, and and there was a season where it's like, man, of course he's a follower of Jesus. Everything in his life is going so well, so he's this incredibly successful businessman in Chicago in the, 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 the 1800s. This lawyer, this, this man who had invested well in real estate, just incredibly wealthy, this, this incredible family, everything that you, know, you look at and you're like, man, he's, he's got it. And then things start to happen. His two-year-old son tragically dies. Um, the, the great fire of Chicago comes and destroys the, the property that, that he owned. And so he goes from this, this father of a son to a father no more, a son. All his investments, done. Sends his wife and his four daughters on this ship to go to Europe. And on the way to Europe, their, their, their ship hits another ship. The four daughters drown. The wife survives and, 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 and you look at this guy's life and you're like, is he Job? Right? And, and and so often what happens is the 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 moments of testing come. When, when hard things come, it, it reveals what our hope is actually in. And God, in his grace, actually sometimes allows us to go through these things so that we don't anchor our lives to things that will ultimately disappoint us, so that we also so that we anchor our lives to the thing that will never disappoint us. And so on the way to, to Europe, he's, he's, he's riding over on the ship to, to greet his grieving wife and listen to these lyrics. These are not in it as well that, that we sing today, but listen to his, his lyrics. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss, you know this line of his glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. In the last verse, but the Lord tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. You see this man, his heart was anchored in Jesus. His life was anchored in Jesus. And my, my, my question this morning for us is, Man, have, have you become detached from the Lord in this way? And, and some of you, maybe you have this morning where you've been putting your hope in, in something other than Jesus, like a Christmas tree that's lights are unplugged. It's not as magnificent. And, and, you, and you plug the lights in, and all of a sudden the, the light comes. And I go, some of you become detached from this hope. And I think this morning what the Lord's wanting to do is to, to Chevy Chase style reattach you, right? Like to anchor you in the hope of Jesus. You ever had a moment in life where someone did something kind or generous for you, not because they were obligated because they just wanted to, like purely out of the goodness of their heart. You know, those things just just have this way of of sticking with you. I remember right after I left Lipscomb, I worked in campus ministry for almost two and a half years, and and I left to work full-time here at at Ethos. And, and I remember about a, a couple weeks after leaving, this, this guy who was a part of our church family, he was a student at Lipscomb, he, he took me to this Mexican restaurant and he said, Hey, um, I, you're just you're doing the right thing. I know you're scared and I know you're, you're, you're anxious about this, but I want you to know you're doing the right thing. And, and I want to pay for your lunch. And I'm like, You're a junior in college. Why are you? You know, like, I, I have a job. And, and he said, No, no, no. I'm paying for your lunch. I invited you to lunch. I'm paying for your lunch today. There's something about that moment that happened in in October of 2010 that I still remember to this day. This this small gesture of of kindness, of goodness that it wasn't obligated to. And I go, I bet if if I went around and and asked you, think about a time in your life where someone did something for you they weren't obligated to out of the goodness of their heart. Hebrews chapter nine, I love the the scripture that, that Sarah read earlier. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Do you really believe that Jesus has taken away your sin? Nick does. That that, that God doesn't just overlook and and ignore our sin. He doesn't just pretend it didn't happen. No, he sent Jesus to be our substitute. You ever been a part of a team or, or a class where where someone did something wrong and then everyone got punished for it. Kate, you ever done that to your kids? Yes. Right. I remember these times in, in, in football, someone would show up late to practice and it's like everyone on the line. And we're like, I can't wait to get in the locker room. Right. Like or, or, or someone's talking in class and, and they keep talking and the teacher is just fed up with it. It's like, all right, no one gets recessed today. And you're like, I hope I get to sit by you on the bus later today, right? Like it's coming for you. And you ever had a moment where, 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 where everyone gets punished for the, the fault of one? Keep playing along with me. Have you ever in one of those situations had one person step up and say, hey, instead of everyone having to run, I'll run for the team? instead of everyone having to miss recess, can, can I sit out? Like, has that happened to any of you ever? You see, we, we have to understand that our sin, it, it, it leads to, to death. Romans 6 says it like this. It says our, 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 the wages of sin is death which means a, a, a losing access to life. It's this disconnect from God. That's what happens in our sin. It doesn't always feel that way. We're not even to name it, but, but there's this separation between us and God. We, we earn death. And when Christ came to earth, the first time he came to die our death, he came to plug the lights back in so that we'd have access to the Father once and again and for all times. And I go, when we truly understand that Jesus was our substitute, that he saw in us, the kid that was talking, deserved to get punished, said, I'll take the place. When we truly understand that he was our substitute, man, we want him. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter one, verse 23. I desire to depart and be with Christ. You know, I've I've read that passage many times in my life. And if I'm being honest, for the majority of my life, I could read that, but I didn't really, I don't mean that. Like, if if I was writing this, I would probably say something like, I desire one day to depart and be with Christ uh, until I can do all the things that I really want to do. Right, It's like, I, I want to I get married, I want to have kids, and I want to travel, I want whatever it is that, 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 that you do, that, that you want to do. And I go, man, so often we, we do this thing where, where we put these things in front of Christ, and Paul understood the substitute of Christ. He understood the love of Christ. Never has there been a love like Christ. No one has ever loved you like Jesus. No one will ever love you like Jesus. And we get glimpses of it of sacrificial, selfless love in our friends and in and marriages and, and, and in our families. We get glimpses of it in movies and in music. But man, we, we long, our hearts long to, to live in this place of selfless, sacrificial love that only Jesus can give. Your spouse will never be able to give it to you. Your parents, your kids will never be able to give it to you. Your house, church will never be able to give it to you. You will always be disappointed. But Jesus, the one who loves you, Drew, through all of your ups and downs, never takes his eye off of you, loves you. Who is our hope in? What is our hope in? Is our hope in the things that God will do for us? Where's our hope in Jesus? I love what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 24. He says, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I go, Allie, Jesus prayed this prayer for you in John 17 because he wanted you to be with him. And Melissa, and Mary Beth. What are we, what is our hope in? Our hope is in Jesus, the one who wants us. So how are we to wait for him? First question is, who is our hope in? Our hope is in Jesus. It's not in the things that Jesus does for us, it's in Jesus himself. So how are we to wait for Jesus? I learned a, just a great example from my son, A couple weeks ago, we had some friends coming over and they had some kids. So we told our kids, hey, hey, your friends are coming over. And Jones's first response was, great, I'll be outside waiting for them. And we're like, buddy, they're gonna be over in like a couple hours, like, it's cold, like it's rainy, like stay inside. And he was just like resolute. I am not staying inside. My friends are coming over. Like I will be there to see them around the corner. Like as soon as they, they park the car, I'm gonna open the door. I'm gonna get in the car, help them get out of their car seat. You know, he's just like, he is all in. And, and, and I love this because my posture is like, hey, when they get here, they'll ring the doorbell. We'll know that they're here. And he's like, no, you miss out on something, dad. When you're not waiting and watching. There's something about about having our eyes open, eagerly desiring. Think about those moments in life where where someone has been waiting well for you. And you come home from college. Your mom and dad have your favorite food, right? You're like, this is awesome. They're ready for you. They're they're waiting. They're, They're watching for you. Or have you ever had someone invite you over to dinner and, and, and you show up and you don't have to cook anything? You just get to show up and eat their food? They're, they're waiting for you. They're, they're, they're ready. And I go, what is our posture in waiting for Jesus? Like when we think about Christ returning, how often do we think about that day? How often do you think about Christ returning, Joey? What life will be like? A bride thinks about her wedding day over and over and over again. Finley's already talking about her wedding day. I'm like, you're seven. You think about that moment where you get that degree that you worked so hard for and standing on that stage. Right, we know how to eagerly desire things. And the beauty of Jesus is, is that he's promised us that when he returns, everything that hasn't been changed will be changed. That the attacks of the enemy, you know, some of you, it's just a a constant assault in your head. When Christ returns, that will not be the case anymore. There'll be no more accusation. For some of you, when Christ returns, that the physical pain and ailments that you just live with, that no one else knows about, will be gone. When Christ returned, the, the pain that's in our hearts from loss, from rejection, the pain is gone. And so this morning, I go, man, my, my desire is that we would become people that, that eagerly anticipate. And If we've fallen asleep if we've become unplugged, that we would plug back in. And we would go, yes, you're right. And so three quick things this morning. How do we, how do we prepare? How do, what, what does it look like for us to wait? The first thing is this, that we purify ourselves. Fill up that, first, that slide, please, Tim. 1 John 3. Verses two and three says this, dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. You know, each of us, we we get caught up in things of this world. It just happens. We sin, we stumble, we lose focus. And what happens when we do that is, is we come into God's presence and we and we confess, we just say we're sorry. I'm trying to teach Jones right now. He's having a really hard time saying he's sorry. He'll do something wrong, and then he just gets embarrassed, and he shuts down. And, and I go, that's a picture of, of some of you. You sin, and you're like, I'm better than that. I shouldn't have done that. And so you go and hide, right? And, 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 and some of you, it's not embarrassment and sin, it's pride that you're like, oh, no, I'm not sinning. You're pretending like you've got it all together that you never stumble. And, and, and the, the scripture tells us, no, no. When you get caught up in things, first John 1, throw up that next slide. If we confess our sins, He's faithful, just, He will forgive us, He will purify us from all unrighteousness. How we walk in, in purity, where we're not dreading, we're not being scared of, of meeting Jesus, how we walk in this moment of eagerly anticipating him, as we is we commit to just continually purifying ourselves. We we bring our sin into the light. On Wednesday morning, I gather with a group of guys, and we pray. And a couple weeks ago, Shay was there and he said, Man, hey, I feel like that, that we're supposed to just confess some sin this morning, and, and I've got to go first. And it's never fun to, to go, You know what? This is where I miss it. And, and we're scared, we're embarrassed, we're proud, whatever it is that keeps us. But, but this thing happens when we come into the light. You actually, it, it, you're purified. The Lord looks at you and goes, Yeah, you're clean, you're good, you're beautiful. We, we purify ourselves. The second thing is we do is we wait patiently. We wait patiently. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 25, that next slide. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You know, in this life, man, when, when, when things aren't lining up on earth as they, as they are, as they should be, as they will be in heaven, don't lose hope. Man, when, when the cancer and death and rejection, man, when, when you get rejected because uh, you, you, your boss says, hey, you're not cutting it, or you get rejected in that relationship or that, that person that, 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 that you're loyal with, they, they just completely disown you, Or when disease comes in and it takes, and and, and I go, man, when these things come and they're going to come, don't lose hope. Patiently wait. And we all love the idea of patience in theory, right? Like, I love the idea of being a patient person. But man, being patient, Jake wanting to get out the door, right? And it's like, little Jake is taking a long time, you're having to feed him, he pooped again, and it's like, ah, he's teaching you patience. How do we do that though? How do we wait patiently? I think we pray. I think we praise Him. It's through prayer, it's through praising Him. You know, how how long does it take for you to take a good intention and to form it into a habit? You know, we, 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 every, everyone is different, but we I overheard this conversation this week with, with, we were with Courtney family for Thanksgiving, and one of her cousins was talking about, yeah, I have this desire to, to work out and to exercise, and I'll do it once, one week, and then, you know, it's like, well, I had the best of intentions. And it's like, we, we do that with God, too. We go, man, I want to be a praying person. I want to, I want to know how to do this. And, and so we, we'll try like a little prayer time with God. Or we'll try reading our Bible, and, and it's hard. And, and then we do it again. A week later and it's like man so how do we take these intentions and bring them into to habits to disciplines i encourage you in this season to find an advent reading plan and just commit to reading it every day you know on your phone on the the app i I invite you to, to listen to worship and just sing along and instead of listening to NPR or some random podcast. It doesn't have to be all day, but, but in a time where, where you might be listening to those things, put worship on. Put some of these Christmas songs on. Sing the actual Christmas songs behind them. Tell God what, what makes you happy. Where you need help. Like, I think, I think this is what it looks like to wait patiently on God. These are some just examples for, for, for you to, go, you know, man, I, I, I want to wait patiently. I don't know how. Just be in the scripture. Spend time praying. So the first thing we do, we purify ourselves. Second thing we do is we wait patiently. The third thing that we do is, is we provoke others. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That word spur, also means provoke. It means to, to stimulate. You know, I, I, I love, this has kind of been a, a verse for me for a while, in John chapter five, verse 17, where Jesus says, my father is always working. And, and I've actually believe that. I believe that he's always working in, in your neighbors and your coworkers and your life and your family life, that God is always working. And, and I go, what does it look like for you in this Advent season to, to stimulate their thinking? Man, to, to provoke their thinking, to help people around you who don't know Jesus, to, to think about and to see what God is doing in their lives. And I don't know what that looks like for each of you. A couple weeks ago, I'd read about this man that every day he woke up in his prayer, he, he literally said to God, God, just whatever you want me to do today, tell me and I'll do it. And think about if, if, if that became the pattern for your life, where, where every day you woke up and you're like, God, you're you're commands take priority today right and many of us are like man but what about work what about family? what if God called me to do something else I, I encourage you maybe experiment this on your day off so a couple Fridays ago I felt like I was supposed to just pray this Lord what do you want me to do today and on the back side of our property or our house is there's a nursing home and I feel like the Lord was saying I want you to go to that nursing home today like, Courtney was, was praying with some people. Finley was at school, so it was me and Jones and Merritt. And honestly, I just had things that I wanted to do that day. Like, I wanted to work in the yard. I wanted to, you know, get all the leaves together. I just, I wanted to do my own things. And, and so I, I found myself praying, God, what do you want me to do today? He told me, and then I started to negotiate. You ever done that? Like, but what if next Friday, God, like, or, or what if uh, I do this, you know, tomorrow? And I felt like he just said, you asked me and I told you. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm gonna do it. So Merritt and Jones and I go to this nursing home and we sit with these you know, two just elderly people and you know, both of them just living in this home right now and, and nothing crazy happened, but I had this opportunity that the person who was in charge of all the social activities like, hey, what are you doing? Like, why did you come here today? And I'm like, I just felt like the Lord told us to come here and do this. She's like, okay, cool. Like these are some people to hang out with. And 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 I, and I share that to go. Man, I, so often I think God, He, He just, He wants us to, to take the, the chances, to listen to Him, to, to look for opportunities, to provoke, to, to stimulate what He is doing in others people's lives. And for us, the the, the call is is, is is to provoke others. To spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I saw this in Jill a couple weeks ago. You know, Logan had a a hard week at work and she sent a text to a few guys and she said, hey, he's just having a hard time at work right now. It's just been really hard and stressful. Will you just reach out to him and encourage him? And I'm going, she's thinking about someone who's trying to encourage and, and spur on towards love and good deeds. And what does it look like for us in this season to to think about the other people in this room, to think about the people that live beside us on the street and go, man, how can we spur people on into the love of God? And maybe it's inviting them to church. Maybe it's inviting them into your home, cooking a meal for them. And I don't know what it is that God's inviting you to do, but this is such a prime season for us to to not just think about the, the first and second coming of Christ, but to invite other people into the reality of who Christ is. Here's what I want us to. Here's I want us to end this morning. I want us to take just a few minutes and throw this last slide up, Tim, with the people around us. I want you just to to share. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? And the reality is, you you might go, "Hey, nothing." Like, or I didn't hear. Haven't heard anything yet. Uh, But but I I encourage you to to think like this. Was, Was there something that that brought real confirmation? Maybe it was a passage of scripture, something was said, maybe it was even something that Dale, uh, a line that he read us through, something that confirmed, yeah, I'm I'm doing that. And maybe the Holy Spirit was just going, yeah, keep on that path, Aaron. Or maybe it was a place of conviction. Something that, that, you know, a scripture or something I said, and he just stung, kind of in a bad way, right, or in a good way, but like, you know what I mean, like, ah, it means I have to do something with that. And so here's what I want to say. I want us to take a few minutes with the people around us, if you feel comfortable, and just share. What was the Holy Spirit saying to you? You don't have to make something up, but let's process this together, and, uh, and then I'll call us back into time of communion. So let's take a few minutes, discuss the question.